There we go. Ooh, real loud. Uh, welcome, everyone. Uh, we're going to uh, uh, dive into the Word this morning. I want to say Merry Christmas to everyone again, like I did last week, and just uh, praying that this time of year that we celebrate uh, the birth of our Lord and Savior, that you take a little time to just sit down as families and, and read through the Christmas story. In fact, we're going to do that for you, and I'm not going to do that for you. Tim, uh, Weeby, if you'd like to come on up, I've asked Tim to read through the Christmas story from Luke chapter 2 to kind of set the uh, stage for this morning. So, Tim, here's a microphone for you. Chapter 2, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, and this census first took place while Quirinius was governor, governing, governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night and behold an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were greatly afraid the angel said to them do not be afraid for behold I bring you good tidings of great joy which will be to all people for there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying, which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the, by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. Thank you, Tim. Let's see. Uh, 
Luke, who wrote this, who penned these words that Tim just read, a doctor and historian who traveled with the, and uh, ministered with the apostles, uh, writes down these inspired words, the account of Jesus coming to earth. And uh, <clears throat> so majestic was this event that if you go back through it, and I'm only going to look at just a couple of things just to kind of tee up where we're going to go this morning. There was these angelic pronouncements, right? You want to talk about a strange events? Like this was not an everyday occurrence. There was these angelic pronouncements. The angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be, for, be to all people. Be to all people. We kind of slide into that category of all people. For there is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And not only were there angelic pronouncements, there was praise and there was worship. Verse 13 and 14 say, suddenly there was an angel, <clears throat> with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, good will towards men. And to add to the pronouncements and the praise and the worship was divine revelation. Divine revelation, verse 15 says, So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, that the shepherds said to one another, let us go to Bethlehem. Let us go and check out this divine revelation and see that the thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us, a divine revelation. And then, and we talked about last night a little bit, Dennis mentioned it at the Christmas party, there was the personal reflection, a majestic event there where Mary says from verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. She pondered these things in her heart. And in the hustle and bustle of the holiday season, uh, there's often this quoted thing of, uh, you know, we need to make sure that we, we can't forget the meaning of Christmas. You know, we're rushing around as, as uh, people do and uh, making sure that everything is, you know, done that's on the list and and, and all of that, and, and, and we somehow come to often these crossroads of, well, what about the meaning of Christmas? We've got to make sure that we, that we have, you know, and understand, and, well, that's all good and important, and it should be. We should understand, and we should uh, grapple with the question, what is the true meaning of Christmas? Uh, God has purpose, obviously, in all that He does, and so it's good that we grab onto that meaning, uh, the Christmas question that I want to kind of pose this morning is, uh, what's the true motivation? What's the true motivation for Christmas? What was God's motivation? What was motivating Him to do the things that He did? What was motivating Him in this storyline that Tim just read? Uh, a quick couple of definitions. Meaning speaks of significance, value, and importance. Well, motivation speaks of incentive, inspiration, and the reason behind it all. So in other words, maybe you would look at it this way. The meaning of a book reveals what the important truth is, is that we should receive out of that. What's the point? What's the, what's the, the essence of the context, and what should we receive out of that? Well, motivation, motivation speaks of how the author, what the author thinks about somebody that's going to read this book. That's their motivation. The motivation is, is that, that thing inside of the author that compels them to try to communicate a point and try to communicate a story reveals really how they feel about 
the reader. Hundreds of years before Luke chapter 2 was written, seven to 800 years before these events that Luke records, there was a couple of Old Testament prophets that were looking forward to the Messiah. And God had given these men bits and pieces of a huge puzzle that, that, he was, that he was putting together. He gave these men just bits and pieces to look at and to understand, but to study and, and to seek out what's the meaning. God, what are, you, what are you doing here? What's the meaning behind it all and why? The why question often will reveal the motive. Those bits and pieces that are fulfilled here in the story in Luke chapter 2 are brought forward in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, where Isaiah says, Therefore, the Lord Himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call His name Emmanuel. 700 years before Luke chapter 2. Also, a few chapters later in Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah also records in verses 6 through 7, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is forgiven. And the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and the peace, there will be no end. Upon the throne of David and over his kingdom, to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from that time forward and forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. 700 years later, God reveals another big chunk of His master plan for humanity that we just read about there in Luke chapter 2, almost 800 years actually, before these events occur, before Isaiah's proclamations. See, what they were looking for and what we should be looking for are the things that only God can do. That's what we should be kind of thinking about going into this Christmas season, and kind of really every day. It's not just for the Christmas season. But what are the things that only, that only God can do? Only God can do a virgin birth. Only God. There's no other way. Only God can do a virgin birth. Only God can make that virgin birth and ensure that it's a firstborn son really have kind of a 50-50 chance you don't have a 50-50 chance with God only God can bring about a firstborn son now we've had a lot of uh, conjecture in our family lately are we going to have a a baby granddaughter or are we going to have a baby grandson nobody knows it's still in the package right Yet to be revealed. God knows. God knows. Now, everybody's got these, you know, certain little prescriptions, including myself, and I won't take the time to bore you with um, crazy ideas. But uh, these are the things that only God can do, and it's a thing that only God could do with His own Son, is to send Him for our behalf. Only God can then... Also, only God can be the God with us. That part of the Godhead would come to earth as a fragile infant. 
as an innocent infant. Only God can do that. Emmanuel. God's motivation, God's motivation is he desires to be with his people. Uh, he's not a distant or a cloaked or a shrouded God uh, filled with mysticism. No, God has revealed his desire to be with his creation to, as Isaiah says, to rule and to govern his people, uh, to be the wonderful uh, deity in our lives, to be our counselor, to be our mighty God. That's his motivation, that's his desire. To be the everlasting father, to be the prince of peace that we need, especially this time of year. To uh, create this idea of expanding rule and reign uh, that's unending. That's what Isaiah 9 says. That, that God's rule and reign, his kingdom is never going to end. And it's going to expand. It just keeps expanding, expanding, expanding. In fact, last week we proclaimed that, that uh, here even in this fellowship that God's kingdom had expanded to two new, brand new believers. So that expansion is not territorial as much as it's from one person to the next. The other Old Testament prophet that uh, records a bit and a piece is Jeremiah. Je Jeremiah records this a few hundred years after Isaiah, and he brings out God's motivation to be with his people. Look at Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 3. The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. With <clears throat> Therefore, with loving kindness, I've drawn you. So God is in the, as I've said in the last several weeks, God's in the gathering business of just drawing people to himself. Drawing people to himself. And it's awesome that we get to participate in that process. That we get to participate in sharing the good news. It says here, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Really the point of the whole sermon this morning is this. Is that love is the most powerful motivator in the universe. And it's God's true motivation for all that he does. It's God's true motivation for all that he does. Everything that, that we read from cover to cover in the Bible, the good, the bad, and the ugly, the, the difficult things, even the judgments are spawned out of and, and, and flow out of God's love for his people, God's love for mankind. So we find ourselves really at the most popular verse of all time where we see this motivation of love coming forth, John 3:16 and 17. For God so, what? God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Most familiar verse of all time tells us that it was God's love for mankind that inspired the story that Tim just read from Luke chapter 2. It's God's love that, in, that, that was fueling it all, that was motivating the actions of Jesus coming in flesh. The great rescue of all time was motivated by God's love. Another verse that flows with that is from the same author 
We find it in 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 through 11, where John says in his epistle, his first epistle, he says, In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world. Paul, or, excuse me, John really liked that phrase. That God sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him in this love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. God's love was manifested towards us. It was, it was made known. It was, it was presented. It was clearly understood, clearly seen. God's love is understandable. That's what John's trying to get across. That God's love is understandable. That we can, that we can get a sense of what God is doing and why. And maybe not in every situation in life, in every detail, but in the greater scheme of things, God's love is manifested towards mankind and it can be experienced. God's love's manifested, <clears throat> God's manifested love offers us three things here that we see in 1 John 4. God's love offers us a new way to live uh, <clears throat> now and eternally. That's the, uh, that we might live through Him. God's manifested love offers us forgiveness or total payment for sin. And God's love, His motivation in all that He does, offers us a new way to treat one another. People can literally and have literally gone, and some people maybe are still stuck in the, the old way, but people really have gone from an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth to I forgive you for what you did. God's love, His motivation, empowers us to live out that way, to go from an eye to an eye, to a love as I've loved, I forgive you for what you've done. It was okay at one time. It was okay. Somebody poked your eye out with a stick, you could dig theirs out with a fork. And God said, hey, that's the way it is. Not anymore. Now, now we're commanded to forgive and we're commanded to love. God's manifested love offers us these three things here in 1 John chapter 4. Verses 9 through 11, a quick verse that kind of goes with that. A quick verse that reveals God's meaning and motivation, really in a sentence, is this, Romans 5 eight. But God's demonstrated His own love towards us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He demonstrates His love. He shows us, hey, this is how I love you. This is why I love you. This is how it happens. Even though you didn't clean yourself up. Even though you didn't come to be presentable ahead of time. Way before all of that. I'm going to send my son as a little baby. In the most miraculous of ways. I'm going to send him into a crazy world. To eventually provide an opportunity for you to have relationship with me. Paul, writing to the Galatians, had these words to say about God's motivation of love. Notice how Paul is looking back at the events of Jesus' first coming, and the kind of the Christmassy language that's inserted is kind of easy to see, and these verses are kind of a summary statement of Isaiah and Jeremiah, and really of what John has said in the verses we've read so far. But in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, 
The Apostle Paul, inspired by the Holy Spirit, he says these words, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son to be born of a woman, born under the law, notice the little Christmassy language, to redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. <clears throat> because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. See, the third thing that, uh, to look at today out of these verses is that uh, God's motivation of love gives us a new life transformation. It gives us new life transforma- transformation that's motivated by God's love for His people. And so we can enjoy our redemption. We are redeemed. We are bought back out of the sin market, purchased by Jesus, by His work on the cross. And we're adopted. We're adopted. I listened to a podcast this week that was really actually pretty sad. It was a... Um, it was all wrapped up around the, the, um, the issue of adoption, actually, and what's going on in our Supreme Court. And what it did is it, is it, is it uh, if you're not familiar on the kind of the political side of things, the Supreme Court's looking at, at these cases that perhaps might give the, the uh, authority back to the states when it comes to abortion, and the issues that are out there are wrapped around, really, around this idea of adoption. And the author of this article that was written, I believe for the New York Times and the New York Post, was herself adopted. And she pretty much, through the summary of the whole thing, and she was, <clears throat> she was arguing against uh, the, or promoting against the case that's being brought forth. And essentially... Um, it was really sad for the reason that that um, she was bringing up all these reasons why adoption is so difficult. It was difficult for her. Eventually she found her mom, or her mom found her, and so it was hard for her mom. It was hard for her natural siblings. It was hard. And it was, so she brings out all of these cases to essentially make the point that she herself would have been better off to be aborted than to be adopted. And it's kind of heartbreaking to actually to sit and to listen. And, and, and I thought the, the fellow that did the podcast did a great job of just like case by case, step by step through the argument, breaking it down in a biblical fashion to say this is not how God works. This is not God's heart. This is not God's love for mankind because mankind has imagio Dei stamped on them. And that's from God. And that as believers, and his encouragement is, as then as for believers, we should embrace all four, you know, we should embrace the same pattern that the Apostle Paul talked about here. We're adopted. We're brought into a new family. We should let that be a hallmark of who we are as believers rather than what's currently been going on in our country that's an atrocity and has been for decades. Why? Because we have a new life. We have a transformed life in Christ. We're brought into a new family. Not only are we brought into a new family, then along with that, we're given a new identity. 
We're given a new identity. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son, the Holy Spirit, into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The Holy Spirit then empowers us because of God's love for us. Remember, that's kind of our overarching thought. Because He's motivated by His love for mankind and those that would trust in Him, those that would receive Him as King, those that would place their faith and trust. God gives all of those people, and that's you and I, if you're a Christ follower, gives us then this new identity that makes that adoption process personal. It makes it intimate. It makes it fresh and anew. It makes it perhaps something that you or I had never experienced before. All of us that are believers never experienced that before we came to faith in Christ. And we learn about that. We, we learn to grow closer to the Lord as He draws us to Himself. So we're given this new identity. I call it spiritual DNA. The Holy Spirit in you confirms that you are now a son or a daughter of the King. And we call out to Him like a child saying, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. I'm going to read a story. We have time to go through this. I was <clears throat> doing a little reading online, and you know, obviously most of you know that. I listen to podcasts and whatnot. And just, um, I was really moved by this particular story that I read about this young fellow from down in Oregon. And the, uh, the title, actually, the title of the, of the article is Motivated by God's Love. I'm going to read this story and see this transformation take place. Exactly what Paul wrote about in Galatians, what we've been thinking about and talking about here the last few minutes. I'll read you this story. In June 15th, 2015, was a significant day in the life of Minato Holman. It was the day that he was baptized as a follower of Jesus. However, several months prior to this milestone... Minato had decided that June 15th was going to be the day that he ended his life. In high school, Minato had a, his life mapped out. I was super ambitious and success-driven, success shares Minato. I had a plan of how to be happy, and I was determined to achieve my plan. Then I experienced some setbacks during my senior year of high school, and in my mind, I had failed. If I couldn't have the future I had planned, I wouldn't have any future at all. So I picked a date, after, a date after my high school graduation to commit suicide. During the spring of his senior year, Minato set about doing some bucket list activities, including a long bike ride from Salem, Oregon, his hometown, to Portland. During the miles pedaling, he felt peaceful with the pressure of the success lifted. And soon after this moment of, of peace in the hills of Oregon, he went out to coffee with a friend, and over coffee, here's a great story of somebody sharing their story, over coffee, Minato honestly opened up about his struggles, and his friend shared the hope of Jesus. Learning about God's love was new for Minato, who had only some general knowledge about Jesus, and he reflects, no one had ever told me this good news, that Jesus had died for me, so I, so I didn't need to die. Instead of, the planning, <clears throat> instead of planning a suicide, Minato spent the last month of high school 
reading through the Gospel of John with his friends, youth pastor. Then in the fall, he headed to Oregon State University, knowing, knowing Jesus, but not really sure of how to follow God in everyday life. From new faith to disciple to disciple maker. That fall, Garrett Schlengel, I really struggled with that name. <laughs> Garrett Schlengel, a navigator at Oregon State, met Minato at a tailgate party. And Minato was one of the first students I met, he says Garrett. He got involved with Navigator's ministry really quickly. Minato joined a small group Bible study called the Timothy Team, learning how to know and to grow in Christ and help others do the same. And Garrett reflects on Minato's desire to go deeper. He wanted to grab the whys behind the what's for everything that we did. After our weekly meeting, he was always the last one I could drop off of at campus, and we would end up having long conversations about God. I don't think I ever met a student who wanted to store up God's Word in his heart as much as Monado. He had a disciplined personality, and as he grew in his faith, he naturally incorporated spiritual disciplines into his daily life. At the end of Monado's freshman year, he was asked to be a student leader the following year. I said no without even thinking about it, says Monado. I still felt so new in my faith, and I didn't think that I was qualified to lead. I was still tripping over my sin in life, and then I realized that I hadn't even sought God in the decision. And God impressed on me that by stepping into leadership, he would mold me and cause me to grow. And the process of becoming a leader changed my heart from trying to grow for my own sake to focusing on other people and discipling them. As God was growing a heart, of <clears throat> a heart to disciple others in Minato, he realized that he'd become more energized by sharing God with others. That he was about uh, sharing God with others than he was about his school coursework. He started praying about his career goals, and God cultivated a desire to invest in full-time ministry. Minato graduated from Oregon State University last spring, and now is interning with the church and attending Western Seminary in Portland. Minato shares his vision saying, the Lord has given me a desire to pursue pastoral ministry by being a disciple who makes disciples. That way his kingdom will be established. The navigators gave me tools to grow in Christ and how to do life-to-life discipleship. The spiritual disciplines I've learned are a reflection of my affection for God as I enjoy his presence each day. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, if you're kind of reading through it, it's, and it's intended to be a bit of a, it's from Nav Press, it's kind of a, a little bio on somebody that come to faith in Christ, and uh, kind of highlights, in a sense, it highlights the navigator's ministry, obviously. Uh, that being said, here's a life that was transformed because of God's love for him. Like a life that was about to be snuffed out you know, in a self-inflicted manner, yet God intervened. God rescued him in that sense. See, I think we can mentally understand the meaning of Christmas, the X's and O's of the story that Tim read through from a couple centuries ago. My question is, do we, cram- do we really comprehend the gravity and implications of God's motivation? His motivation of love. That's why I read the story. Because stories like that, stories like your story, stories like my story, 
need to be shared way, way, way more often. Stories like this are inspiring for us to say, hey, we can keep moving forward. We can keep moving forward as believers. We don't have to get bogged down with what's going on in society. We don't have to succumb to society's pressures and all the frustrations that can happen through this time of the year. We don't have to worry about it. We can kind of float across the top. Because God's motivating love for us compels us to just keep moving, to keep going, to not stress about some of these uh, social things. Keep sharing Christ. So do we comprehend the gravity and the implications of God's motivation of love? All that was accomplished, all that Tim read about in just one short section, all that was fulfilled prophetically, all that was offered was done with one singular motivation, and that's love. All that God has done has been done with one singular motivation, and that's His love for His people. In a season that can be hectic and chaotic, we're called to love one another well. We're called to love God well. We're called to respond and, and receive His love, but respond to His love in how we love one another well. Let's start this week off afresh and anew with God's love as our reason for celebration. Again, I would encourage each one as the worship team wants to come back up. We'll close with the song that we sang in the earlier set. Let's start this week off afresh and anew in that sense and just encouraging one another, encouraging ourselves and, and being motivated by God's love to go through to go back through and really absorb what God is saying in Luke 2 and other passages in the Gospels of the first coming of Christ, how important it is that we celebrate, that we understand that Jesus came, not just for a good storyline, but that Jesus came because God loves you and God loves your neighbor and God loves that when we share, and he wants us to share his love with our neighbor, just like the story of Manato. Would you stand as we sing to close out the service?